Okay, friends, the story begins. We are on the bottom of page 30. We're continuing the journey through the Siddur and specifically through Pesukei de Zimra, the verses of praise. We started off, we introduced verses of praise last week, and it starts off with the Baruch Sha'amar with the opening blessing. We then quote a verse from Psalms. This is a copy-paste quote from chapter 100 of Psalms. Let's quickly read through the chapter. It's a very short chapter, just a couple of sentences. Let's read it, and then we'll take it from there. Uh, bottom of page 30, a psalm for the Thanksgiving offering. In Hebrew, it's Mizmor Lesoda, which translates literally as a song of thanks, but it's referring to the Thanksgiving offering. In the Beit HaMikdash, there was various offerings, right? There was a sin offering, there was this offering, there was that offering, the, the Tamid, the Passover offering. There was also the Thanksgiving offering were a person to be in some sort of uh, situation of danger. So these days, there's a special blessing recited at the Torah, special blessing recited giving thanks to God. But back in the times of the Beit HaMikdash, were one to experience a miracle because they were in some sort of dangerous situation, they would bring a Thanksgiving offering as a sacrifice. A psalm for the Thanksgiving offering, let all the earth sing in jubilation to the Lord. Serve the Lord with joy. Come before him with exultation, exultation in song, in, in uh, at least in the Hebrew, means like with, with singing. Know that the Lord is God. He has made us and we are his, his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with gratitude, his courtyards with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name, for the Lord is good. His kindness is everlasting. And his faithfulness is for all generations. During the time of the Beit HaMikdash, while one was bringing a Thanksgiving offering because they experienced some sort of a personal miracle, this psalm was actually sung and recited while it was being offered at the altar. So commentaries explain, well, why are we saying it now? Because the assumption is that miracles have happened to us on a daily basis. And we need to open our eyes to those miracles and be thankful for them. Every single day we experience miracles. And we might not even be aware. We might not even know what happened. But if we open our eyes and appreciate the small things that God gives us, um, that's something we need to train ourselves to rejoice over. Our sages say something interesting. <laughs> they say that all songs um, in the future, all psalms, will be irrelevant except for this one. And what's the reason? Because all offerings will be irrelevant in the future when Mashiach comes, except for this one. Most offerings are brought as um, a, a way to atone for sin. But over here, this is to just express thanks. We're always going to give thanks to God. God willing, we, there'll be a time where nobody will sin. John, you had a question? I did. I was actually going to ask about this because in, in the Tehillim book, it says in the most of the Psalms have a little blurb above them. And it says the Psalm also refers to the Thanksgiving sacrifice, only sacrifice be offered in Messianic era. So I, I had two questions. One exactly. is... What what is a Thanksgiving 
sacrifice is that um is that an animal sacrifice or is it something else it, it actually consisted of bread and th that's the reason why the psalm is not recited on pesach ah so, oh that's interesting. or heir of pesach and Yom, even though we're not actually bringing the bread but it, and, it's what it and, represents and Erev yom kippur as well right and Erev yom kippur and the reason is because and shabbos um in general the thanksgiving offering was not brought on Erev yom kippur it would have been if if one needed to bring it, then they would delay it till afterward, and it wasn't brought on Shabbos as well because it was an individual offering. So in those my, days, only uh, central global uh, group offerings were were brought. So my other question was then: so that means in a messianic era, there will be no animal sacrifices. Um, that's a good question. That would be very convenient for. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's a good question. That that's what it seems like. Hmm. Although I don't understand. I'm. I'll be honest. I'm not a hundred percent clear. I I don't understand why we wouldn't have a Passover offering, or why certain offerings that aren't directly correlated to sin, why we wouldn't have those. Hmm. So it's a, it's an actually an excellent question, and um, I got we got I got homework to do. Stumped the rabbi. You stumped the rabbi. You did it, man. <laughs> Erase this from the recording. Okay. <laughs> Make sure to cut this out. Want to start over? <laughs> but you know what's interesting is Mashiach is going to come. And for lack of better world, words, we're going to be in a utopian world. The world's going to be in a very good place. There'll be world peace. Yet the sages believed that we're still going to give Thanksgiving offerings. We're not going to take it for granted. It's an interesting thing. That's an important lesson within itself. Life is going to be good, and we're still going to be thankful. We're still going to recognize whom the giver of this good life is. If you take a look at the second sentence in English, or in the Hebrew. In, the, uh, in English, it's the second line. In the Hebrew, it's the uh, end of the first line. I'm going to read it in the Hebrew, if that's okay. End of the first line. See it? Ivdu et Hashem. Serve God. Besimcha. Serve God with joy. Okay, we'll stop right there. Serve God with joy. So this is a psalm or a song of thanksgiving. We sing out to God. The whole earth sings out to God and we serve God with joy. The reaction to appreciation. The emotional reaction of appreciation is joy. If you want to be happy, it says you have to serve God with joy. But right before that, it says, thank God, give a Thanksgiving offering. The implication is that the way we get ourselves to a place of happiness is by being appreciative. And we know the value of appreciation in Judaism from the Moda'ani. The moment we open our eyes, the very first thing we utter is, thank you, thank you, God. We also know that it's not just appreciation, but again, what does it also mean? What does the word todalza mean? To concede. Because I'm thanking God not only for what he gives me, I'm conceding to him, I'm thanking him for, for who I am as a Jew and conceding that I can appreciate him as my God, can appreciate him as, as my reality. The Talmud says something fascinating, a little bit scary, to be honest, but it's still fascinating. 
The Talmud says that there was a king, Chizkiah. Anybody heard of Chizkiah? Chizkiah is one of the later kings. He was a good guy. To the point that the Talmud says God wanted him to be Mashiach. God was ready to make him the Messiah. But in the heavenly court, they said, no, he's not going to be Mashiach. God says, why not? He's pretty good. <laughs> if Hey, if God thinks he's good enough to be Mashiach, that's got to be worth something. <laughs> God thinks he's valuable enough to be Mashiach. And in the heavenly court, they essentially disagreed with God. And here's what they said. King David, who was one of his ancestors many generations prior, for whatever reason, was not a candidate for Mashiach. Even the Mashiach has to be a descendant of King David. King David lived a horrible life. I shouldn't say a horrible life. A very uncomfortable life. I had a dentist who, whenever I used to say, is this going to hurt? He would say, you'll experience discomfort. <laughs> okay, King David didn't have a bad life. He had an uncomfortable life. But let's be real. His life was not easy. You could read just the book of Psalms. Most of it is, is him on the run, running away from, from uh, various people trying to kill him and trying to accuse him. And the whole book of Psalms by King David is God, is David singing to God, expressing appreciation and thanking God. King David was so thankful. And he wasn't a candidate for Mashiach. Chizkiah, who didn't sing to God, you're going to make him a candidate to be Mashiach? So God said, you're right. Chizkiah is not Mashiach. And unfortunately, in that generation, Mashiach didn't come. Every generation, there's somebody who... Potentially could be Mashiach, and it could have been Chizkiah. Unfortunately, at that point, it wasn't. But what we see here is the power of joy, theoretically, and power of singing to God could have literally brought Mashiach, could have put an end to uh, to the exile before it even started. Judaism strongly believes or asserts, I don't like to say believes, but it asserts that joy, by the way, serving God with joy is not just a luxury. It's not just, you know, do what you're supposed to do. And if you do it with joy, that's kind of the, the cherry on top. Serving God with joy is actually an integral part of serving God. And we know this from last week's Torah portion of the many curses that God um, offers the Jewish people <laughs> were they not to adhere to the Torah, is that if you don't serve God with joy, you serve your enemies. One way to look at it is if you don't serve God with joy, serving God, he's going to be your enemy because you're not doing it joyously. Because if we're not doing it with joy, we're not doing it with passion, it's not a relationship. It's just bland service. But there's a, there's a balance. There is a balance here because in a relationship, any relationship, I believe this is the case with a child-parent relationship, a teacher-student relationship, a marital relationship, a business relationship. It's certainly true in our relationship with God. The core of the relationship, the starting point of the relationship, we know this from chapter 41 of Tanya, is respect. You have to respect your business partner. You have to respect your customer. You have to respect your client. You have to respect your spouse. You have to respect your student. 
or respect your teacher. The core of the relationship is respect. The core, in English, the core of the relationship is it's not about me, it's about you. That's the core. In context to God, we're going to call this reverence. But that has to mature into joy as well. If a relationship is just joyous, there's no respect. So now the relationship is, I'm not really rejoicing in God, I'm rejoicing in myself. I feel good. And what happens when it is about me is you get all sorts of crazy things. I saw an ad a couple of years ago, some Jewish organization somewhere was advertising Bol Hashanah services. You know what Bol Hashanah services are? This is this is real. This is not a <laughs> Rosh Hashanah services at the bowling alley. Because let's enjoy. Let's feel the spirit. And if this is where we're going to feel the spirit with, with lights and, and pins and let's do it. Right. So what's lacking over there, there's joy. There is joy. They enjoy it. <laughs> but the nuclear, but, but the core, the respect, the reverence is, is not there. On the other hand, you have many Jews who are incredibly reverent. And it turns everybody off because it's just so cold. There has to be that balance between reverence and joy. It starts with reverence, but it should expand into something much more than that. It should expand into joy. Let me put it this way. The whole purpose in us existing, <laughs> why did God create us? To make this world a place where he's comfortable. So part of that is doing what God wants, but a big part of that is doing that with joy. Well, God's, you know, it's it's not just like, okay, fine, you could stay at my house. <laughs> We're not, okay, God, fine, you could reside in this world. Fine, I'll do that mitzvah. It's, God, we want you to be here. We want you to be part of this. It would make me happy. Nothing would make me happier than to invite God into this world. So I do the action, but I show God that I'm proud and I'm happy to do it. That's called serving God with joy. And you know what? The There's a chain here. I'm appreciative. I appreciate, I appreciate the good things that God gives me. I appreciate not only the things he gives me. Um, I'm not, I not only appreciate the things that he gives me. I appreciate who he made me, the purpose that he's given me. Like we said in our Moda'ani class many weeks ago, I'm not only thankful to be alive, I'm thankful to have a life. I don't just exist, but I have a life. You know, people say like get a life. So I'm thankful to have a life. I'm thankful to have a purpose. That translates into joy. And you know what joy translates into? Take a look at the next words of the verse. Let, again, let's take a look at the, the top line, end of the line, second sentence. Evdu with Hashem serve God with joy. Bo'u. Come, Lefanov, in front of him, Birnana, with exalt. I don't know the English, but with singing. What is that English word there? Anybody know? Exaltation. I don't know. Exaltation. Exaltation. Okay. What is exaltation? Exalt. Okay. To, to exalt him. Okay. I, I wish they translated it in a way that people speak, but that's a. Uh... 
I guess another story for another time. <laughs> Come to God and sing in front of him. If we rejoice, if we're appreciative, we'll rejoice. And if we rejoice, we're going to sing. We're going to have vitality. We're going to have energy. There was a Hasidic Jew named Reb Zalman Schneerson, likely related to the famed Schneerson family. I believe, I believe he lived in Israel. Reb Zalman Schneerson was unfortunately unhealthy and he was not ambulatory. Couldn't walk. And as part of his health issues, he couldn't drink either. Which could make for a very boring Simchas Torah. <laughs> so it's Simchas Torah. It's right before, right before they're about to take out the Torahs and have the Hekafot, the dancing, and the whole service. It's supposed to be a very joyous time. So they're at a table together. I don't know if they were in the sukkah or where they were, but they were having a little pre pregame for bringing where you say L'chaim and you get in the mood and discuss the meaning of life, the power of joy, because that's really the theme of the evening. And again, <laughs> he's unfortunately stuck in a wheelchair. He's not going to be able to do much dancing. He uh, is not going to do much drinking, <laughs> which is not a bad thing, but he's, you know, he has to get himself in the spirit. So he asks uh, somebody at the table if they could please bring him a Tanya. They bring him a Tanya. He says, can you please open up to chapter 33? Chapter 33 talks about joy. They open up to chapter 33. They say, can you please read? person starts reading. And I quote, Chapter 33. Od furthermore, or od furthermore, zos This is what you do if you want true soul joy. The following. He says, stop. And he was just, whew. maybe he knew what the chapter was about or whatever it was, but the, the spirit of joy just filled him. Zalman Schneerson got up and started dancing. Saw what joy did to him. This guy wasn't ambulatory. He wasn't well. He was without alcohol. But the joy infused him with life. And he got up and started dancing. People were shocked. Whoa, what just happened? But that's the power of joy. Now, we can't live our entire life on an incredible high like that. You're going to have moments where you have a more of a joy high than others. But we can get some of that. Even while we're reading this, think about that. Think about the appreciation for what God gives me and for who he made me. Think about the impact that joy has, the motivation that it gives. I was just reading a similar story last night of a different chassid, and I forget his name, lived in Israel. And this guy, unfortunately, was also half paralyzed. And um, a couple of yeshiva students came to him to his home to you know kind of cheer him up and they had a little fabrangan and they got him the spirit of joy he was so overcome with joy that he started moving and dancing and and, and it, the power of joy moved him I remember by the way I forgot I, I didn't plan on saying this story but it's such a good story I forgot about it 
when I was working at Cedar Sinai Medical Center as a chaplain, I had this patient. Uh, she got um, in a car accident, unfortunately, many years prior, probably 10 years before. She wasn't in for a car accident. She was in for something else. And she was telling me about her car accident. She was, she said before her car accident, she said she was a very miserable person to be around. Always negative, always she wasn't a healthy person physically or mentally or spiritually. She was just a grump, a grouch. And, and uh, this is what she told me. She had a huge car accident. She even suffered short-term memory loss, but her long-term memory is excellent. And she said that she decided to change her life. She decided to stop taking life for granted because her life almost uh expired and she decided to be more appreciative she said i started being more happy my relationships flourished she said she lost she was obese apparently she said she lost 120 pounds just with that attitude shift because joy equals motivation you know what joy also equals humility Let's keep reading. Um, please look at the third line in the English where it says no. Know that the Lord is God. He has made us and we are his. I'm going to read that in the English, in the Hebrew and you'll soon see why it's important to read it in the Hebrew. Uh, second sentence toward the end of the line where it says de'u. You see it? De'u, no. Ki Hashem, God, who Elohim, he is the Lord, or the Lord is God, who Asanu, he made us, velo anachnu, and to him we are, we are his. Okay, so a big part of joy is knowing that you're not the creator. Um, Despite popular belief, <laughs> you know what they say, uh, um, you know what a narcissist is? I heard this recently, I thought it was great. The guy, when you're at a football game, and the players huddle, and you think they're talking about you? <laughs> Especially if you're watching it on TV. Then then, then we got real problems. They don't even know you exist. Okay. But God made us. We didn't make God. And that's a big part of joy. That that level of humility. And I'm going to look at look in the Hebrew again, please. The third line. Hu asanu, he made us. Velo. Anybody know what the word velo means? Velo means without an aleph, with a vav means to him. Velo anachnu, to him we are, we are his. Here's something interesting. You see this throughout the Torah. There's certain words in the Torah that are spelt one way and pronounced another way. And that is the tradition we have from Sinai. That you write it this way, but you pronounce it this way. Um, so the, the way it's actually spelled in an original Tehillim text would be velo with an aleph instead of a vav. What does velo, what does lo mean with an aleph? Not. Right? So the way you would read this is God made us and we didn't. We didn't make ourselves. 
But the way we read it, we read it as if there was a vav there. The pronunciation happens to be the same in this case. We read it as if there was a vav there, which means not not us, but to him, us, we are. The recognition that we are not God. He made us and we didn't. That automatically translates or should translate into us being his people. Us being close to him. Faith in God should translate again into this important value of joy. And vice versa, the, the, the important value of joy should translate into that level of humility. That I'm not the creator, God is. God is in charge. That should make me happy, it should make me joyous, it shouldn't make me depressed. So I'll tell you a great story. There was a rabbi in the uh, end of the 1800s named Abraham Bronstein. He was a famous Talmudic scholar known as the Avne Nazer, uh, uh, an incredibly scholarly work on, on Talmud study. There was a um, some sort of Fabrengan gathering type of thing. And he was a prominent rabbi. He was there, but everybody filled the room. And you know what happens when you have too many Jews in a room? Right? There's, there was a little bit of pushing. And this rabbi got pushed. So the guy who pushed the rabbi yells. Somebody yells at this guy who accidentally pushed the rabbi. It was a mistake. But he says, careful, you're, this rabbi is here. He's a prominent person. You're pushing him. The rabbi's response was that when dough is not needed, quickly it becomes chametz. It becomes it rises. <laughs> don't worry. I don't want to rise. I don't want to be arrogant. I want to be humble. You got to be needed a little bit. That's what it. That's what it takes. That that's according to Jewish law. You know, you have eighteen minutes for to make matzah before it rises. The eighteen minutes technically only start from when you stop needing it. As long as you're needing it, you can need it for days and days. It won't become chametz theoretically. So he says dough only rises once you stop needing it. I'm being needed. I won't, I'll, I'll stay humble. I, the way I heard it once put is if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. <laughs> but joy should translate into humility, into realizing that God is the creator, realizing that he's in charge and I'm not. It's his world. And I play an important part of this world, important role of this world. If we adapt this attitude, Right? There's a chain here, and we see it all in this short chapter here. We see that we're appreciative. And because we're appreciative, appreciative of what God gives us and who he made us, the purpose that he's charged us with, we serve him with joy. And because we serve him with joy, we have vitality. We sing to him. And we know that he's God. We know that he's the creator, not us. We know that he's our we are the sheep uh, um, of his pasture. He's taking care of us. We're in good hands. So you know what happens afterwards? Let's keep reading. Uh, third to last line in the English. Enter his gates with gratitude, his courtyards with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name, for the Lord is good. His kindness is everlasting. And his faithfulness is for all generations. So the literal interpretation of his faith is for all generations. In every generation, you could trust God. He was trustworthy since the beginning of time. Nothing's changed. He's still trustworthy. But perhaps there's another way to understand it. If you serve God with joy, 
the faith will retain itself in every single generation. We want to pass Judaism on to the next generation. We want it to be Jewish continuity. There's only one way to do it. That's with joy. It won't translate into the next generation if we're not going to do it with joy. There was a... So I'll tell you a good story. Two stories. There was um, a very committed Jew, an immigrant from pre-war. And he was upset that it wasn't really sticking to uh, to the next generation. His kids weren't really picking up on it. And he said to the Reb, that's something to the effect of, I don't really get it. I'm so committed and doing everything. And he apparently came out in discussion. He would always say in Yiddish, he would give a krech, like a oi vey. He would say, oi. It's difficult being Jewish. It's not easy being Jewish. And the Rebbe told him, you got to change your attitude. You got to say, it's, it's gratifying to be a Jew. It feels good to be a Jew. There has to be joy if we want to pass it on to the next generation. And this is an important value. This is an important Jewish value. It's a, it's a value that Hasidim, that Hasidim stress. It's a value that the Baal Shem Tov has stressed. But it's certainly nothing invented by Hasidim. I'll tell you one more quick story, and we'll call it a day. There was a yeshiva student visiting a Chabad yeshiva. And again, in Chabad, we take joy seriously. <laughs> it's the way we roll because it's an important value. This young yeshiva student was visiting from a non-Chabad yeshiva where joy was not the focus. And he was he was kind of like overwhelmed by the level of joy that he experienced on Simcha's Torah. And he wrote to the Rebbe that he believes that perhaps this is kind of a desecration to like, aren't we overdoing it? And the Rebbe politely explained to him, if you stand on the side and not engage in that joy, you're the one that's making the desecration here. <laughs> because if we want Judaism to pass on to the next generation, into our own selves, if we want it to be sustainable, it's the same thing. With, with, there's, there's a great um, educator. His name is Richard Lavoie. Anybody heard of Richard Lavoie? Richard Lavoie was a public school principal, and he gives, uh, I think he was big in the 90s, but his videos are still there, and he, he gives uh, a lot of parenting and, and education advice, and he says something interesting. He says, two kids are fighting out of the uh, outside the principal's office. The principal walks out and starts yelling at them, don't fight. Those kids will never fight, again, outside the principal's office. <laughs> They'll make sure not to get caught. But what happens if they were positively motivated to not want to fight because they were held to a higher standard or whatever it is? They've gained independence. It's the same thing with our Judaism. If we have joy in our Judaism, and again, the reverence in Judaism is important, and that is the starting point. But if we have joy in our Judaism, there's sustainability. It's going to last. It's going to last for ourselves. It's going to last for generations in generations to come. Okay, that's my story and I'm sticking to it.